good morning, y'all. How we doing? Are you excited to be in the presence of Jesus this morning? Yeah, okay. That you're supposed to, it's baptism Sunday, so you're supposed to be like, yeah. yeah okay. All right. Uh, the word talks about when someone so gives their life to Christ, uh, there's a party in heaven. So I think the expectation is that we do so the same in here. So hopefully when we get to that portion a little bit later, uh, we'll be able to do that. Uh, my name is Jamie. Uh, welcome to those tuning in online and for everyone here on site. It's a really exciting morning for us. Uh, we are in week two of a series called Rules of Engagement. And uh, I'm going to be taking over for Pastor Jason this morning. This week, preparing for uh, the celebration of life for uh, a loved one who passed away. He shared a little bit about that last week. Uh, and go. so I'm excited to dig into God's word with you. You can open up your Bible, whether analog or digital, to 2 Chronicles 20. Who preaches from Chronicles? 2 Chronicles 20, if you want to get there, we're going to be there in a few minutes. Uh, we're talking about spiritual warfare. Which is like one of those bizarre Christianese words that kind of gets floated around every now and then. Uh, so let's talk about what spiritual warfare is. Let's, a little bit of a reminder for ourselves. So spiritual warfare is this kind of biblical concept that it is these forces of evil or uh, the demonic world, like these really funny words that might be familiar to, to Christians. It's these... This concept that sees the thing, the, what the Bible says as evil or demonic or spiritually contradictory to those things that uh, against the, the truth of Christ or the truth of God. Spiritual warfare is this force that is working against us in our lives using lies, shame, deception, confusion, all those kinds of things as we pursue a life with Jesus. It's this, this, the way that Satan or the enemy or the accuser or Lucifer, however you want to name him, the ways that he tries to convince us and separate us from our relationship with Jesus. Spiritual warfare isn't always the sin that happens in our lives, which is really important for us to understand because sometimes what happens is we do something dumb or we say something stupid and we say, oh, I made a mistake. The devil made me do it. Well, no, not necessarily. The devil does not make you sin. You make you sin. However, the evil one, the accuser, speaks into our lives ever so silently and gives us thoughts and tells us lies and makes us feel shame and accuses us of things in our lives that try to drive us away from our relationship with Jesus. Spiritual warfare doesn't make you sin, but it tells you how to get there. And so the enemy may tell you lies or accuse you or, or, or tempt you, uh, and, but ultimately it's your own self-righteousness that gets you into trouble. And so this is what author Priscilla Shearer says in her uh, book, The Armor of God, which I love is better than any kind of spiritual warfare discipline I could, uh, def definition I could think of. So spiritual warfare is always wrapped in deception. It's always designed to manipulate the truth about God and about your value in him. The enemy desires to lead you into sin so that fellowship is broken between you and God. 
This way you'll be disconnected from the ultimate source of true power and strength. Temptations that appeal to your specific desires show up when, they, when you are most vulnerable and they are not accidental. But get this, this is the most important part. They are the enemy's deceptive tactics specifically designed, timed, and personalized in hopes that you miss out on experiencing an abundant life in Christ. Let me read that one more time. This is the definition of spiritual warfare. The enemy uses deceptive tactics specifically designed, timed, and personalized in hopes that you miss out on experiencing an abundant life in Christ. And so for us this morning, if we want to uh, do the antithesis of that definition, if we want to prepare ourselves for spiritual warfare, we need to do the opposite of that. In fact, we probably need to have receptive tactics that are specifically designed, timed, and personalized in hopes that we do experience abundant life in Christ. That's what I want us to capture this morning. What are the tactics that are designed, timed, and personalized to help us give and experience an abundant life in Jesus? And so the question for us today is how do we prepare for spiritual warfare? What do we do? Because the thing is, if you are in an active relationship with Jesus and you are pursuing a relationship with Jesus, you will experience spiritual warfare at some point. If you are not pursuing an active relationship with Jesus, if you are not trying to live and love like Jesus, the enemy probably won't waste his time on you. So spiritual warfare is one of those things that happens in your life as you pursue Jesus. It happens in the life of the church as we run towards the vision that God gives us. Things happen this morning, even in our church as we were preparing this morning, because we have new life to celebrate later on today. And so all these things started to occur this morning to try and distract us and separate us from what God has us wanting to do this morning. That is spiritual warfare. And so how do we prepare for battle? I want to tell you a story um, I once was in a gang. I know, I know. Probably don't look like gang, you know, membership-wise. Probably don't fit that description. But when I was living in Sydney River, Cape Breton, I was in a gang. And there were one people in my gang, and that was me. <laughs> there was an actual gang uh, in where I lived, I lived in Sydney River on Cape Breton Island, and there was an actual gang called the Sydney River Ruckus. That is, this is a true story. They were a gang of like, you know, junior high, high school kids who would cause trouble around the town, around the city. They would spray paint walls, and they would start fights, and they'd do all these little petty things. And so they were a gang that was actually causing trouble. There was a tunnel that went under an underpass where it kind of kind of moved from my subdivision where I lived into kind of the main kind of city center of Sydney River. And in this tunnel was tags, gang tags, gang paraphernalia all over the walls, Sydney River ruckus, and they spray painted over everything. And so I thought to myself, it would be a very smart idea for me to start my own gang. It would be a great idea for me to have this rival gang that, that is make-believe, that would kind of uh, begin to make the city river ruckus shake in their boots a bit. 
And so what I did was started my own gag, and I called it TIJ, T-I-J, which stood for Totally Insane Juveniles. I am, this, is, this is a true story. I'm not making this up. This is the brain of a, like a junior high student. Uh, and this is before my time with Jesus, before I met Jesus, okay? So I must say that as well. So I went out to Walmart, and I bought some spray paint. And I went throughout this, uh, this kind of tunnel that went from one section of the city to the other, and I spray-painted T-I-J over all of the Sydney River ruckus graffiti. And I wanted to make them think, oh, there's, a, there's another rival gang in town. Like, we need to be scared. So eventually, I began to brag to my friends about this, which was not a great idea, um, because word got out that there, there was this kid who spray-painted all over this gang's stuff. And so about a week or two later, I found myself walking home from school once, surrounded by a few members of the Sydney River Ruckus. And I am a bit of a lover, not a fighter. And so I found myself surrounded by these three guys who had been uh, told that I was the one spray painting this stuff on. And I will say I got my just desserts. Um, I didn't get like super beat up or injured or anything, but they gave me a few licks. And uh, I did not defend myself well. It was uh, a bit of a bloodbath without the blood. Um, but I kind of got uh, a few punches in the stomach and kicks on the ground from this actual gang. But here's the thing is sometimes you just need to stand for what it is that you believe in. You need to prepare for battle even when it's least expected. And so in this moment, I, was, I, was ex I wasn't expecting a battle, but I had to stand firm and I had to fight for the rights of Tidge um, and can't stand firm for my, well, I, that, that day was the end of my gang days. And uh, yeah, I got a few, I got a black eye and a few other things that happened. But, but here's the thing, we need to prepare ourselves when times of warfare, when times of battle comes. We just have to. And so today we're going to look at how we can prepare for spiritual battle, how we can stand firm in the things that we know when warfare does come our way, because it's going to come. If you are actively pursuing a life with Jesus, warfare will come your way. The enemy will, will lie and scheme and accuse all the time. And so we're going to take a look at how wars were done in the Old Testament and see how they translate to us today as followers of Christ. So uh, I'd love for you to turn to 2 Chronicles 20. Uh, there's a guy named Jehoshaphat who is king of Judea at this time. And Jehoshaphat uh, kind of heard tell of these three communities that surrounded Judea, and they were coming to try to steal the land from them and kill the people. And of course, battles back then were fought physically. They were fought on the battlefield. And uh, you had to prepare yourself accordingly. It happened all the time because we were fighting for God at the time. That's what God's people were doing. They were, they were trying to protect their land. They were trying to protect the people. And so in 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat is king, and these multiple armies have teamed up, and this is what happens starting at verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 20. It says, The armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Maonites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told him, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. Verse 3, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. So what did he do? He begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. 
So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem and they sought the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord and he prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty and no one can stand against you. And so Jehoshaphat, he sees and he hears of these three communities that are teaming up on him. Much like Tidge stood in the middle of this battlefield. And instead of preparing the army, and if, instead of gathering the troops immediately and sharpening the swords and getting the blacksmiths to work, instead what he does is he starts with prayer. That's what it says in verse 3. It says that he begged the Lord for guidance. He ordered everyone to begin fasting. And he got all the towns to help him seek the Lord's help, and he begins to pray, and he prays over the community. But when you're growing in your faith with Jesus, and spiritual warfare comes your way, this is where we start. In the same way that in these Old Testament physical battles, they started with prayer, and fasting, and gathering as a community to pray together, this is where you should start. Start with prayer. You prepare for war by covering yourself with prayer, fasting, and community. You need to be confident in the authority that you have been given when you pray. Jesus has given you the authority to pray in his name. And so we must be confident that we can usher in God's power in any situation that the enemy will throw our way before it comes. So the first thing we do to prepare for battle is to pray. Move on to verse 13. It says, As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehazel, son of Zechariah. Verse 15, he said, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley and that opens up into the wilderness, but you will not need to fight. Take your positions and then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow for the Lord is with you. And so we start with prayer and the next thing that we do is we proclaim our next strategy is proclamation. Because there's power in words, right? The pen is mightier than sword and your, your words hold weight and all those tropes that we know. But it's true. There's an incredible power in the words that we have and the words that we have available through us through the truths of God. There is power in proclaiming God's truth and God's promises in our lives over our situations. God empowers this one man to proclaim truth and promises to God over all the people. Back then, God would only take his spirit and maybe fill one person at a time to give, give a message. But we know that when we accept Christ as our Savior and when we get baptized, we are filled with the Spirit. And he uses us to speak messages all the time. His Spirit is in all of us. Therefore, we have the power and we have the authority in Jesus' name to proclaim God's promises and truth over whatever situation comes in your life. 
Speak God's truth over your life. Speak his word over your situation. Speak his promises over your relationships. Proclaim God's authority and truth in your life. And the enemy will be terrified to deal with you. We're always so afraid of the attacks that might occur when we pursue a relationship with Jesus. And this kind of demonic world sounds bizarre and it's weird and we, sometimes we don't get it. But when we can proclaim the truth and the word of God, it makes the enemy a little bit scared. So that's the second thing. We proclaim truths and promises. Verse 20 says, Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. And after consulting with the people, get this, the king appointed the singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, for his faithful love endures forever. And at that very moment, that they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army at Seir, they began to attack one another. So when the army of Judah finally arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground. As far as they could see, not a single one of the enemy had escaped. They stood their ground. They, all they did was show up, and the Lord did it. But it's so interesting that the army is ready. They've got their weapons ready to go. They see the enemy uh, on the far end of the battlefield. And what does Jehoshaphat do? He sends out the singers. I don't know if it's because, like, we're the most, we're the toughest and the scariest looking. Am I right, worship band? Amen? Nobody? But what he did is he sent out the singers to bring forth words of worship. And they begin to sing praises. And it's not, it wasn't just for encouragement. It wasn't just so uh, that they would feel good and have a positive vibe before they all go to their death. It was because they were ushering in the presence of God. They, they, were, they were ushering in the power and the presence of the Spirit going before them. They, they sent out the singers because when we worship, when we praise, when we bring all that we have to Jesus through song and through art and through devotions and all these various ways, when we do that, we bring light into the room and it pushes darkness out. This is why praise is so important for us to participate in together as a church. It's not about your song preferences. It's not about your volume preferences. It's not about how and why and when and how loud the worship is. It's about ushering in the presence of God as we take part in God's word together. It's about moving in more light into the room so that darkness is pushed to the side so that the enemy disperses because he hates the sound of it. He doesn't show up where people worship. And this is how we fight our battles of spiritual warfare. We pray and we proclaim and we praise. At least that's how they did things in the Old Testament. Using that as our process. Spiritual warfare is not fought in that context anymore because of Jesus. Because Jesus died, he lived a perfect life through his ministry and he died and he rose again and defeated sin and death forever. We don't have to fight those kinds of wars anymore, except 
We have a new kind of fight to deal with. The, the, the spiritual warfare that we talk about it. It's what it says in Ephesians 6. It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Not in yours, in his. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Get this, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. The enemy now is different, but the process is the same. The enemy isn't an army on the other side of a battlefield. It's an unseen enemy that's fighting for your soul, that's fighting to separate you from your relationship with Jesus. It's not in people, although people get involved in our situations. It's not in things, although things get involved in our situations. It's about deflecting the lies and accusations and shame of the enemy through prayer and proclaiming God's word and through praise. Your enemy is not looking to take your physical life. I don't even know if he has the power to do that. But he wants to take your relationship with Jesus away, which is far more important. So even though the enemy looks different and attacks differently, the process is still the same. We use prayer and proclamation and praise as our weapons of choice. See, with prayer, when you cover yourself and your situation with prayer, you would be giving the, the peace and the comfort and the wisdom and the patience for when battles come your way. It's what it says in 2 Corinthians 10. It says prayer smat, and this is the message version, which is why it sounds funny, but I love it. Prayer smashes warped philosophies. It tears down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life that is shaped by Christ. So if you are pursuing a relationship with Jesus, whether you've been doing it for 15 minutes now or you've been doing it for 50 years, if you, as long as you are pursuing what it means to live and love like Jesus, you will have spiritual warfare come your way. And so we start with prayer. And then the next is proclamation. The best way to speak against any lie is to speak truth, right? We all understand that. We wanna tell the truth. Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction, but if we want to speak against the lies of the enemy, then we need to speak quite literally out loud with our mouths and with our voice. We need to speak the truth and the promises of God. That's how we speak against the lies and the accusations of the enemy. We need to use our mouth. We need to proclaim his goodness and his truth. When spiritual trial, trials come our way, we literally speak it. This is what it says in Revelation 12. It says the accuser or the enemy of our brothers and sisters, accused them day and night before God. But they defeated the enemy through the blood of the lamb and the bold word of their witness or the word of their testimony. In other words, they literally stood firm and spoke out their testimony. They talked about what God did in their life, what God is doing in their life and what he's gonna continue to do in their lives. They're speaking words of truth and they're speaking the promises of God out loud to defeat the enemy. We proclaim God's goodness and God's truth and God's promises to defeat the enemy. And then there's praise. We usher in God's presence in the room so that we can encounter him through his word. 
Our worship, yes, is a way to celebrate what God has done, what he is doing and what he will do, but it also yields authority to the spirit to move and have his way in the room with us, to soften us a little bit so that we can learn and we can hear from what God is doing. This is what happened in 1 Samuel 18 with King David. It says, David would play and sing and worship God before King Saul. And while he worshiped God, the demonic spirits that were harassing the king would leave. That's the kind of power that your praise has. And sometimes we, we're singing, I hate the song. The drums are too loud. Where is the organ? They're playing the wrong note. Like this is how we prepare for warfare sometimes. Imagine if we were able to put aside our preferences for just a moment the kind of light that we could bring into the room to disperse darkness. Imagine the power and the authority that we as a church would have if we just laid aside our preferences for the praise of Jesus. I get that it's hard sometimes, but we would be a powerful, powerful force to ward away evil and darkness. There's power in the name and the authority of Jesus, and we need to live it and speak it. That's what it says in Galatians 2.20. As I have been crucified with Christ. You guys all know this. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the question for us is, are you fighting these spiritual battles in your own strength? Or are you fighting them in the strength of Christ in you? So we have spiritual warfare that comes our way and the enemy begins to frustrate us and tell us lies and accuse us and bring shame into our minds and make us think thoughts that separate us from our relationship with other people and separate us from our relationship with God. These all begin to flood in to our minds and what do we do sometimes? We begin to fight them in our own strength. We begin to ignore them. We begin to try to, to, to hide them and stuff them away so that they don't bother us. But we can be proactive and pray. And we can proclaim. And we can praise. We need to begin to learn and understand what it means to fight in the strength. The same power that raised Christ from the dead that we were just singing about is alive in you today if you've given your life to Jesus. Fight in that strength. And you will stand firm in what he does. And we do that by praying over our life and over our situation. We do that by praising the name of Jesus through music and art and devotions and action and acts of love and proclaiming God's truth and promises throughout your life. So today I ask and I encourage you and maybe even beg you when the enemy begins to say stuff in your head, fighting the battle that Pastor Jason talked about last week fighting that battle in your mind when that happens start with prayer gather your community your small group and say man this is how the this is how the enemy's attacking me this week start there and then begin to proclaim the truth and promise of God in your life and then praise celebrate what God is is doing and has done despite your circumstances around you I'm really excited today to be a part of baptisms, which really is the ultimate proclamation that we have over the enemy. 
Baptisms are a public declaration of an inward transformation. And so when people go in dead to sin, before they go in and they come out and they are alive in Christ, that ticks the devil off. He doesn't like to see that. And so it's always excited for us as a church to see people raised to life through the power of baptism and be filled with the Spirit in such a way that they can go out and then they can begin to fight their battles of spiritual warfare. So we're really excited to take part in worshiping and celebrating together in that way. And so as we prepare, I know that Pastor Jason had some unforeseen circumstances in his family's life and would love to be here. And so instead, uh, he made a little video for all of us to take part in. Uh, And so I would love for you to direct your attention to the screen as our uh, baptismal people come up and get ready for the stairs.